Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast. My name is Tiffany Bova. I am your host today, and I have the honor and privilege of welcoming Andrea Olson to the show. She is trained as a behavioral scientist, which is far more fancy than I could ever be, differentiation strategist and customer centricity expert. She teaches executives the art and science of brand differentiation through understanding customer behavior. She is a three-time book author with her latest book, What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But Don't Tell You, which just came out this year. She founded the first customer centricity and behavioral science consulting firm in Iowa. She works with a wide range of multi-billion dollar organizations. She's an entrepreneur, a professor, and executive uh, director of two TEDx programs in the Midwest. So welcome to the show. Wow, you're making me sound you make me sound really good. <laughs> right? I love bio intros. Oh, you're like, God. could you could you call my mom and tell her that? Just read that to her. That would be really helpful for me. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Right? All oh. right. Well, we always start off uh, the what's next podcast with something I call bullish and bearish. Are you ready? I am. All right. The first one. AI generated speeches. Bear. Oh. Bear. Okay. Bear. Bear. Big bear. All right. right. Next one. This is a little, this is a little different for me. I'm going to give you an either or, or, which I, I don't know if I've ever done this, but let's see. Okay. All All right. right. Ready? Yeah. Entrepreneurship or MBA? Uh, Bear on MBA. Well, take that back. I'm going to say bull on MBA and baby bear on entrepreneurship. Okay. Baby bear. Okay. I, I like the baby bear. I might, I might have to steal that from you. Yeah. I why that. can't you have baby bear? Okay. Yeah. All right. Next one. Third and last space hotels. Bullish or bearish? Uh, you know what? We're, we're going to go bear. Okay. Space kind hotels. Two bear, two bears and a, and a baby bear. Okay. <laughs> All right. Baby bear. <laughs> and a baby bear. So let's dive right in because listen, I have had thousands of conversations about this topic. So I'm super excited to hear about your point of view on how to really ask the right questions of your customers. I, 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 I often say that I think a skill is becoming a master asker. Like you have to become a master asker. And I mm-hmm. actually got that from Mark Victor Hansen, who wrote the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. He wrote a new book called oh. Ask, right? And then he yeah. said, look, the trick is becoming a master asker. So I've completely ripped that off from him, although I, <laughs> I do give him credit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what do you think? Let's just start at the top. Like what first got you interested in this topic? And then let's drill down to, you know, what people get right, what people get wrong and, and how, to, how to learn from your customers what they don't tell you. Let's start from the top. Sure. Sure. You know, and it's interesting about your comment on master asker because it's, it's a, it's a great sentiment. It's a great mentality to have, but I think, and and part of the premises of the book, and this is what I've seen throughout uh, my tenure at the university of Iowa teaching entrepreneurs, you know, how to start a business 
from off the ground. And then even working with larger companies that, you know, have all the resources, have all the money and still struggle with innovation, right? Still struggle with going, what do our customers really want? What are they going to really buy that we can create for them that has value? And I think the problem is, is that fundamentally we want a prescription. We want a very succinct how-to manual to understand customers. Tell me the 20 questions I need to ask and I will ask them. And then suddenly this answer will come out of the sky that somehow no one else has discovered by asking these same questions. And that will be unique to me. And then money will rain down from the sky. Right. And I, I, it doesn't work like that. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and and wait, right. Wait. And so, you know, if you if you put it in that context, it sounds very silly, right? The difference between if you look way, way back, I mean, you know, you know, decades of people that started businesses, you know, even back in the industrial area, they were talking with customers, they were asking questions, right? As you said, you know, this this ask mentality, but they were also working within those same contexts, observing those customers in how they did business, what their craft was, and really understood their problems in their space, in their customer space, and then looked to define solutions to problems that weren't linear to what they were doing, right? And this is fundamentally how businesses grow. But the problem is we've gotten so distant. I mean, think about in any organization, most organizations, how many layers are there between customers and the people in the organization making decisions outside of sales? And sales are really only making certain decisions based on their sphere of influence. I couldn't agree more. I, I say that business is like one big undercover boss experiment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Like, like literally, like, do you not know what's going on? Like, I am shocked. But, but in reality, to your point, I mean, unless you're a really small business, right? right. And then you are you very have no close, choice, right? You're right. A, you're a click away. You're a click right. away, right? But as you get bigger, right, you cross the, you know, the average small business in in the United States never crosses five million dollars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's the it's the ninety nine percent that are below that that maybe are closer. So, to your point, when as you get larger, you're going to get more mm -hmm. distant. But you have those that, as we're discussing, right, you're an entrepreneur, you might have 20 people at your mm -hmm. company. Hopefully you don't feel like you're too far away from the customer and you're that uh, size. You know, I, I think you get far away from the customer very quickly because especially as an entrepreneur, you get mired in the business itself, right? And this is nothing new, right? Everybody knows about this, that you're working in the business instead of on the business, that old adage, right? But it's so much easier to manage the operations of a business, right? Think about the fact that maybe, you know, you're, you're solving problems or you're trying to acquire a new, uh, you know, let's say somebody to merge into your company, uh, you're figuring out operations, you're figuring out supply chain, you're doing all this stuff. And it's so much easier to deal with that than to interpret these abstract things, these abstract needs that customers have that aren't linear that aren't pick A or B, and that you have to really think abstractly. You have to use first principles thinking to really divine what customers want. And that, that takes a lot of time and it's hard. Yeah, and I often have conversations uh, with, with people 
and try to ground them. Because if you say that to someone, they're like, okay, I don't even know where right. to begin, right? Like I talk to customers all mm-hmm. the time. Like, do you want A or B? To your point, that's not the right. point. It's kind of right. not the point, right? But not everybody is Steve Jobs that says like, I, d- I don't need to ask my customers what they want because they don't know mm-hmm. what they want. Or you go the Henry Ford model, which is, they, I can ask them and they can tell me what they want as long as it's a black car. Oh, right, right, right. I mean, you have these, you have these kind of two mm-hmm. extremes. But, but on the other side of that, that whole kind of jobs to be done of what is the job? The job remains constant. The solution changes as time goes on. And so do you think that jobs to be done concept helps here in understanding what a customer wants? Or do you think that muddies it a you little know, bit? You know, I mean, I, I've read a bit about the jobs to be done theory and I write about it a little bit in the book. And, you know, I, I think... To me, the principle is always Occam's razor, right? That simpler is easier and better. And the jobs to be done theory, though in principle is looking at the right thing, the process itself is a little cumbersome. And if you think about large organizations where nowadays everybody wants what's going on this quarter, are we meeting these targets? Everything's fast and immediate results. You usually don't have the luxury of going through a multi- multi-step, multi-year process to then suddenly come out with, here's these five innovations we learned from customers, when at that point, leadership might not be excited about it, right? They might go, yeah, that's a nothing burger, and we just wasted 18 months on this. And I think that's what happens in organizations where we spend all this time trying to divine customer insights, and then what's delivered is so unexciting that organizations either say, it's a waste of time. We're just going to ask sales, what are customers saying? What did they say they want? We're going to do those things. Or or we're going to copy what our exactly, competitors do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? It's path of least resistance. Path of least resistance. I almost think the path of, le- of, the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. <laughs> do not say that three <laughs> times fast, is one of two things. One copy what our competitors right. do or two, let's just keep doing what oh, we're doing. Cause what we're doing worked it in the sure past. did. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, if you, if you double click into trying to understand, so I've listened to this now, I've sort of got an idea of what I need to do. It's not a, it's not mm-hmm. B, it's not status quo. Yeah. It's not, you know, okay, now I'm ready to go out and learn what customers mm-hmm. want. What would be your kind of step, if you will, someone listening going, you know, I feel like I'm in middle management or I'm just moving into an executive mm-hmm. layer. And I feel like I have gotten a little disconnected from the customer yeah. to yeah. your point it happens more often than not. Right. And I want to reconnect and I want to, I want to do so in an intentional and thoughtful uh, and empathetic mm-hmm. way. Right. I, how, how do I do that? Well, I think what organizations tend to do is get that idea in their mind. And then they say, okay, we need to go talk to customers. They pick a segment. doesn't really matter who. They identify some people, and then they go out, and then it's deer in headlights. What, what, proverbial, what do I ask them? And it kind of starts way more upstream where you got to go, what am I trying to understand? What questions do I actually have? And sometimes you go, I, I, I have no idea. I just want to understand something that the customer needs that's not being served that we could provide. I hope they just tell me. So you have to start with changing your mentality and looking, okay, this segment of customers, what is the context in which they engage with you? And have a group of people, an internal discussion about what those influences are that 
changes their behavior, that drives their behavior, that that has a bigger picture view of what their challenges may be. And I'll say a, a very simple example. I just recently wrote an article on this is I was at a brewery with my husband and it was uh, about nine o'clock at night. It was on a weekday and we're just having a beer. And a group of like seven or eight middle-aged guys, 30 to 45, roll up on bicycles, right? They all have their bike gear on. They roll into the brewery. They all order a few rounds and they're just talking and shooting the shit, right? And they say, I'm fascinated by this because I go, these people are, you know, I know some of them. They have children. They have homes. They have responsible jobs. Like, what are they doing at nine o'clock at night, you know, at a brewery when clearly this was not their first stop? right? This is, you know, been, been a bit of a marathon. And I was trying to understand their behavior. And my husband, because he was looking at it through a different lens, had this statement that was very simple. He said, this is the one window they have to get away from their family. The kids are put to bed, dinner's done, job's done. They have this evening window and they all have the same window to get on their bicycles, go around, go to, go have some beers and come home and not miss anything with the family and not sacrifice anything at work, right? Not have to take a day off to do this outing. And if you think about that context, let's say you were a bicycle manufacturer, it's not about, okay, I have safety lights on the bike and the bike's light and carbon fiber and, you know, it's a performance bike or you're just a casual rider. It's if you look at that behavior and that context of the audience, what things could you add of value to differentiate your offering? And a breathalyzer on a the breathalyzer bike. Breathalyzer on the bike. Right. I mean, let's just use that, right? It could be that. It could be an app that you could like route your uh route your uh time, right, with all your friends. So you go, I need to be back by my wife wants me back by eleven o'clock. So you could have something where it times your route right? Or you could have any, you could have anything, right? I don't have all the answers. But the point of that is that it made you think differently about a group of guys that still have the same demographics, right? 30 to 40, avid cyclists. They all had, you know, road bikes, carbon fiber bikes. And you think, well, they've, you know, the brands have served their purpose. They've given them all the features, the, the water bottle holder, the headlights, the reflectors, all that. But that behavior, that context is a whole different window of opportunity to differentiate your offering. Yeah. And, and I think that is the, um, so if you, it, so let me play this back to you. So if you're listening, right. And you don't know where to start. And to your point, it's way before that, you know, it's way more further upstream right. and you don't know what to right. ask. It's kind of almost observe. Yeah. Right. right. Like observe in the, so go sit at the park and watch people riding sure. bikes. Right. I mean, right. Or then, you know, go around the cities and, and watch how people are using them or parking them or securing mm -hmm. them or, you know what I mean? Like go out amongst, right? right? And watch in the natural habitat. Right. Or talk to other people, you know, that ride bikes and, and have a real deep discussion of how they use them, when they use them, why they use them. You know, cause those, that group of guys, I had already seen and known, and it never came across my mind of friends that I know cycle at night. They, they'll post photos on social media that they're on a bridge at midnight. And I'm going, man, I know that guy has two young kids at home, right? His wife's letting him bike in, at midnight, you know, and not that that's a thing, but it was, it was a surprise, but it was right in front of my face. The fact that that's a behavior that you can capitalize on. That's a context in which 
a bike manufacturer or somebody who makes bike accessories can address a potential need there. Yeah. And the other side of that, I would say as well, if you can't, you know, go and see the context in action, right. Or uncover new context. Uh, it, it was the opening of my book. Like the context is the place to start. Totally. Period, totally. Yep. It was, it was like, don't do anything till you know the context. But, but I would say if you aren't able to do that and go look in the habitat, I would say, listen in, in the call center, yeah. right? Sit and listen to what people are calling in about. Cause you're going to hear the downside of some of the decisions you made in a room where you are disconnected, right? And so you made this decision and had this unintended consequence through your supply chain all the way to your customer. Right. And maybe that's not even something they want. So listen in on the call center. I'd say go on sales calls, quote unquote, if that you know means in person or virtually and, and not as the executive to go like, I want to hear, you know, and I want to participate, but maybe you go and sort of just listen. Uh, and I know that's hard for executives, but you, you know, you, it is that accidental, like you, right? You it, you accidentally saw them sitting mm -hmm. there and then you went through this whole thought process, right. right? So it's the accidental interactions, I think, are, are to me anyway, some of the most valuable. Oh, totally agree. And and if, to your point, if you can't get out, if you can't observe, you're like stuck in the office for whatever reason, I think you can bring about that mentality through just a simple exercise with with a diverse team. And, and one of the examples I use in the book is, let's say you're a bank and one of your products is a mortgage. Okay. Very simple. And you say, all right, we want to sell more mortgages. That's our objective. We want to understand what customers want in regards to a mortgage. So the first question you ask the group, even before, let's say you talk to anyone is why does someone want a mortgage? And you say, well, it's because they want to buy a house, right? That's the first answer every single person gives, but it's not, that is, that is just a component. Why they want to buy a house is the broader context. I had a baby. I moved to town. Uh, I want to get out of a rental property. These are all different reasons that someone is seeking a mortgage. And then now when you start the conversation around those contexts, it starts changing the way you think. And if you just had a baby, then what are the other things you need when you're going through the process of identifying a mortgage lender, securing a mortgage, and then the whole context of moving. And then what could a bank provide that would be a differentiator in that scenario? So I know that's a big example, but it's just one way to shift your mindset. Yeah. And I think it's a fantastic example. And I'm not saying it in this case, but there are opportunities where there are signals from data telling you what the trigger is. So for example, like you have a customer, right, who was single and then they're married. So you know they're married because they add someone onto the checking right. account or the bank, which now has the same name. So you kind of go, okay, it's probably a spouse. And then all of a sudden they open up, you know, a college fund for a child in the new tax. Mm -hmm. blah, blah. So now you know that. And so then all of a sudden you're like, okay, and they don't have a mortgage with mm -hmm. us. And so I'm going to guess whatever they're in might not be enough space for what they're going to need, yeah. you know, 12 months from now. Right. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be the conversation. I mean, this is the power of all this data we're now collecting right. on people, on humans. Right. And as long as it's collected appropriately and used appropriately, mm -hmm. that's my big asterisk caveat. Yeah. Um, then you can start to look for those signals and say, okay, people who add a quote unquote spouse onto their bank account right behind that happening, we start 
communicating with them about mortgages. We start communicating to them about, you know, college saving right. plans. We start, you know what I mean? Like, so would you agree that is another way to I, do I it? I do. And, and that's the thing. It doesn't take, this is not rocket science, right? I think the fundamental thing about this is looking at customers as humans, as people. We oftentimes get so wrapped up in looking at this as numbers, right? These internal goals of we need to increase the number of mortgage applications by 10% by the end of the quarter, right? We're not thinking about people and people's behaviors. We're just going, okay, we're going to stuff some stuff down their throat, whether it be by email or text or whatever, advertisements. And we're just going to roll the dice and hope that we hit some people like spaghetti on the wall, right? But if we sit and think about these behaviors, these contexts, it's all right there for the picking. It's just, we have to stop and really consider how people behave. Yeah. And if you just change, chase the productivity metrics or the metric, you know, you end up in a Wells Fargo situation, oh, yeah. right? Oh then yeah. It's, right. Then you get the, you get the bad side of that just going after the metric or the short-term ism, you know, individual contributors are very short term for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. As you move up the organization, you get longer and longer and longer and longer term, right? You're sitting at the C-suite, you're out two, three, five years. You're sitting in a chair as an individual contributor trying to get through the right. day. Right, <laughs> like, oh, you know, yeah. You know, there is there is a big breadth and depth of of, of that. So what, what I'd like to shift a little bit, because we've talked uh, quite a bit about customers, um, and I just finished a two-year research study on... Um, the connection between uh, employee experience and customer oh, experience. Oh, yeah. And so I know that you've got you've got some um, interesting insights around employee behaviors and decoding those mm-hmm. as well. What, what what would you say, you know, uh, to people who are just now starting, which, you know, this is what we found, that are just now starting to have more meaningful conversations about employees that they maybe have haven't been having about customers for a really long time. And the great resignation is a perfect example of the fact we've been ignoring them. And so hence you get that, uh, at least in my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. So w- what what are things uh, you can uh, suggest from an employee perspective with these same kinds of concepts? Again, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing. You apply that same principle against employees, an employee context, right? So if you are thinking about customers as humans with human needs and you think about employees as humans with human needs, you know... That's the whole question of work from home. That's a whole question of flex time. You know, this is not something where you look at it as a cost to the organization. You look at it as a retention strategy because it's serving a need. We've all been at some point in our careers at a job where let's say you had to make a doctor's appointment, a dentist appointment, something came up, and now I have to coordinate my work. I have to coordinate time off. I have to, you know, it's a very big endeavor. And there's a lot of things you'll do to then avoid going to the dentist, going to the doctor, getting a checkup, which has all these downstream ramifications in this simple scenario. So when we look at employees like customers, because they're serving the organization in their own way as well, I think instead of that mentality of, well, we're paying them, so they're going to do what we need, it is a collaborative, right? You want to empower employees and give them the energy to do the best work they can to make your organization succeed. So why would you cut that off at the knees by treating them like a number? Yeah. I I mean, so well said. And, and I think, you know, a a lot of times now I, I literally just start to ask the questions of what do companies do? Um, 
you know, let, let's go to like surveying customers. Mm -hmm. You think that's a good exercise initiative? No. Self-validating, right? I, I mean, there's oftentimes where a survey might give you the temperature of something. That's great. That's fine. But it's not going to answer critical questions for you. Most of the time, it's going to be something that internally, you're just really trying to use that data to support. It really has nothing to do with customers. It's just something that, politically speaking, it's a leveraging tool for you. Yeah, and I think it's also, that, to your point, the very first thing you said was sort of self-validating. Mm -hmm. And that has everything to do with the question, right? You're kind of validating. It's sort of the bias of what you ask. Right. Sort of. Well, and how many, how many organizations really know how to effectively design surveys? You know, what do you think people get wrong with surveys? <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I, I think surveys either tend to be way too long, right? We're, we don't want to, we don't want to survey them to death. We're just going to send one 200 question survey. Okay, great. Fabulous. You know, that, that's, that's idiotic. Or we're going to ask questions that once we have the information, there's no mechanism for decision-making. And, and this might be a little controversial, but to me, this comes from things like the net promoter score. There's people that are huge advocates of it. I get it. But I try to think like an entrepreneur and I go, okay, if we sent out uh, surveys, we did our net promoter score and we get eight. Eight's our number. What action can I take on eight? What does eight mean to me as an organization? It's a really great number to put in uh, a board report. It might be something that I can trend up or down, but how do I connect that to individual departmental actions and individual actions within the organization that influence customer satisfaction? Or the other end of the spectrum, let's say it's a three, okay? I'd argue as, as an organizational leader, if you didn't know it was already bad, that <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's already, you're, you know, the, the, the horse is out of the barn, right? So I'd argue that you have to use surveys. It kind of goes back to the, the line of questioning with customers. You have to understand what you're looking for first. And it can't be just about you. It has to really be truly about discovery of customers and not be an undue burden. Customers cannot pull out of their, out of their ass, right? You know, what is the magic thing that we can do to make you happier? They don't know, right? And they're going to give you all the same answers again, like in our banking scenario. It's like, well, you know, uh, more ATMs, drop the fees, yada, yada, because these are the obvious things that come to their mind in a survey. A discussion, a an observation, or the combination of the two is going to reveal those things that are hidden versus the things that are obvious that every other company sees on their surveys. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I think Fred, who created the uh, NPS score, he he just wrote a new book and a lot of it was around this, like gaming the NPS, mm -hmm. checking the box, showing it to yeah, the board and then yeah. it lost its intention. It's terrible. Right? So uh, unfortunately, but I think it's, hopefully it will swing right, back. Right. But I, I had Martin Lindstrom on the show five years ago. I don't know if you know Martin, but he wrote the books, uh, small data. So he would go and observe mm -hmm. like how people use laundry detergent. Yeah. And so it was like usually a new, you know, if it was a new mother with a baby on the hip, you can't pick up the thing. And right. So that's how the little spigot exactly, was created. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Or, or he saw that he went into a very remote area and 
children only played with magnets on the refrigerator. And he could tell if the children were playing mm-hmm. by how low they were on the refrigerator. Or if they were high on the refrigerator, it was aspirational places usually that the adults wanted to go, that someone went and brought them back a gift or or that they went and they wanted to remember right, that trip. Right. right. But he noticed the behavior of the of the magnets on the refrigerator and realized that there was no toys, no toy company, you know, no ability to give these children something mm-hmm. to play with and like help this company do an adjacent to the core business, mm-hmm. right? Line of sight out, started toys because they had manufacturing. Boom, it became this half a billion dollar business from watching magnets on a right. refrigerator. Like just observe, oh, yeah. right? Or the, you know... So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then going back to the original question on this this little segment <laughs> we're doing right now is I'd say the same thing for employees. If you're not watching them, watching them work, is it hard for them to do what they have to do? You know, undercover boss is just, I go back to that all the time. Like if you don't know your people are having to pick stuff up and it's hurting their back or the the storage closet behind the retail store is completely mm-hmm. a mess and they have to hand stamp on price tags and you would never know that in a report because you'd see the exactly. number. What's the, what's the MPS? Right. What's the customer set, right? You're not going to see that your employees are work, actually working harder. So this has just been fantastic, Andrea. I, 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 it's a great conversation. I, you know, I just want to recommend to everybody who's been listening, go pick up her book, What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But Don't Tell You. I think this is a hidden skill and one that not many people try to get better at. And I think it's really critically important to finding ways to differentiate and grow. So thank you for joining us. Any last parting words of how people can keep in touch with you, your work, uh, and, and follow what you oh, do. Oh gosh. Well, you know, I, I'm on all the, the major platforms that you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, you can go to our company website, pragmatic that's spelled phonetically P R A G M A D I K.com. Or you can learn more about me personally at, uh, my speaker website. That's Andrea Belk, B as in boy, E L K Olson, O L S O N.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for Baby Bear. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Baby Bear. And, and all of you, thank you as always for joining me on the What's Next podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day.